Welcome to Youth Talk, a series of in-depth conversations with specialists in their field. No topic is off-limits. We'll be discussing the issue, the impact and the changes needed to improve our world. Enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to episode three of Youth Talks Sustainable Fashion. I'm Alone Rolcock, co-founder at Elevate Greater Manchester and I'm again joined by Dr Patsy Perry. In the first two episodes of this series, we spoke a bit around what sustainable fashion is, the different elements that we need to consider. And in episode two, we talked particularly around some of the impacts of the pandemic on on changing and highlighting certain trends. And what we really wanted to make sure that we did in this series of talks was for it to not just be a talking shop, to not just be, we've discussed the issues and isn't that brilliant, we've all learned something and and crack on as we were before, but to really make sure that we shared some, some practical tips and advice about what you can do. And that will obviously vary depending on what your role is, but we all wear clothes, we are all consumers. As consumers, we have a, have a certain amount of power with brands. If you're working within the industry as part of the supply chain, as, as part of that you know, creative experience, whatever part it is, there are things that you can do to help move us in a more sustainable direction. So I'm going to start off, um, Patsy, by just what are the questions that as an individual, I should be asking of my retailer what are the the questions that I'm going to want answers to to make sure that they're as sustainable as they can be so consumers can be really powerful and we should um, use our voice to hold brands accountable and there have been loads of examples where you know com- consumer and citizen activism especially um, empowered by social media has really led brands to change the processes or adapt the ways that they are doing things because ultimately they need to serve you know what consumers and what what the marketplace is expecting of them so what we need to be asking really is um you know what are they doing about all the various types of issues that you might be particularly interested in i think no brand or retailer can do everything but depending on what matters to you you might be more interested in people in the environment in animal welfare and you know we need we need the answers to this don't we often brands and retailers won't give the the nitty-gritty um depth of detail on these issues because it would be too complex for the average person who's not you know a specialist in that area to be able to to digest and comprehend and the evidence is that you know most consumers don't want that level of granularity um anyway um and obviously, if, if you do offer that, sometimes you can get, um, you know, tripped up because it's very difficult unless you have really good control, visibility or ownership of those different processes in your supply chain. It's really difficult to know from day to day that everything's been done in the, in the right way. Um, but things that we might want to look at would be, you know, um, what proportion of you know more sustainable materials are being used so is there any innovation around um, using waste as a raw material for example rather than using virgin resources is there any movement um, towards using you know better forms of cotton rather than um, standard cotton with with pesticides and how are you know how are the the people in the supply chain at all of those different stages being supported because um, the supply chain is really only as strong as its weakest link and you know if, if there's somebody there that's being exploited whether that's the the farmer the um the, the garment manufacturer that that is not being 
paid a fair wage for what they're doing you know it, it puts that that whole business at, at um, risk of you know not surviving ultimately so i think um not only looking at um green innovations but how are those kind of green innovations um integrated with supporting the people that that make the supply chain up and then of course what about animals so as you mentioned with the the danish mink um this week it's come out hasn't it and you know all of the different um animals that are used in different forms of fashion and beauty is that really necessary um it's a bit yeah um, as you say it's it's quite shocking um and we, we spoke him um, off air slightly around um the danish mink but i had no idea that there were still mink being farmed in Denmark, but also had no idea that, that mink fur would be used in, in false eyelashes, that it's, it is just remembering that as a consumer, you are the person in control of, of that transaction. And, and we should perhaps be, be asking these questions around what, you know, what's it made from and where did it come? And I, I think it's brilliant that you've, you've addressed that, that balance that we need to have, that there can be a lot of focus on like, the shiny new tech but you know there's some brilliant innovations there of you know dyeing fabrics without using water using uh, you know recycled materials to be able to do things and, and that's brilliant and we should be applauding it but if that's at the expense of using sweatshops and you know damaging people within the supply chain then we kind of need to get our basics right first you know it's not enough just to kind of tick one box if the other one's falling by the wayside so talking about um, that supply chain, so the people who are supplying into retail and kind of, you know, the, the people who are, you know, potentially the, the bigger retailers, um, the, you know, the department stores working with multiple brands, creative agencies, advertisers, all the various people that kind of fit within um, the edges of that fashion industry. What are the, the questions that, that they should be asking if, if they're forming part of that supply chain? I think it's really about understanding what the supply chain looks like and trying to you know map the supply chain first and foremost which is no easy task as we've spoken before it's really complex gargantuan things spread over multiple countries and cultures um, so it's really difficult to have that visibility beyond you know your immediate supplier often but um, that does need to be done first and foremost um, but again, you just need to take a view on, you know, what, what is right for you. So, for example, the brands, they might come across some dead stock fabric, but you don't actually know where it originated from. So then your decision is whether to go to, a, I don't know, trade fair and buy some virgin fabric where you have that full traceability. Or would you prefer to, to use this dead stock fabric that actually would suit your requirements very well? Could be a little bit cheaper um, because it's essentially waste material and otherwise would be going in the dustbin. So it, it is really impossible to be fully perfect and sustainable on all, on all aspects. But sometimes we have to make um, a trade off and just, you know, do, do what we believe is right. And I think saving things that currently exist from the dustbin is probably a good place to start, isn't it? And, and as you and say, get the basics right first. There is so right much first. waste in that industry. So it's, you know, that there is an opportunity to do that. And I think from kind of the themes that, that you're talking about there, they kind of seem to fall into that kind of traceability and transparency that actually, like, if we can trace everything, 
brilliant let's do that but actually if we can't then maybe it's just about being transparent about why because there might be a really good reason so like you say i might not know where that material came from but i know that it was a waste product so actually as a consumer that that's the story that i want to hear so actually i, I know that you're not going to be perfect it's about me understanding what are you doing what are you trying to improve on where are those kind of blocks and humor the information that they need without as you say overloading them with a you know a 50 page sustainability report that that nobody's going to read or digest are there um any um particular fashion retailers fashion manufacturers that that have kind of got it close to right on being able to trace through their whole supply chain or or are we generally seeing there's there's a bit of a, a muddy area in most of them um it's generally a muddy area i would say <clears throat> um i think unless you're a brand where provenance is really part of your your brand value so this would be luxury um typically where, where people are buying into the brand because of its um provenance so for example it, they want to know that you know the cashmere was coming from scotland for example um that kind of thing so therefore you would have more end-to-end -end traceability but with that often comes ownership or really long-term relationships so if you're a typical um global fashion brand you've probably got well you will have hundreds and hundreds of suppliers around the world so and you may change them from season to season um even in luxury you know you may change your suppliers because one one season you may want to use calf leather and the next season you want to use ostrich leather so you're not going to have the same farmer farming cattle as what you are farming ostriches so that necessarily means um changing suppliers but i think one company i think that would um quite an interesting example would be um johnston's of elgin but they tend to do one product so it's it's very fine woolens cashmere knitwear don't really make anything else it's all around wool and cashmere and the owner of the business they would know they do know and they would spend time to visit um the cashmere goat farmers and build up that relationship over generations again it's an it's an old family business from the 1700s so you've got that um those family connections generational connections and so on and it works for them because the the provenance of the product is is really important so they want to make sure that you know they are going to have a sustainability of that supply of the cashmere um wool going forwards but if you're you know a big global retailer sourcing multiple types of materials for many products many seasons it, it wouldn't make sense would it an interesting cycle round that if you think you know 50 60 70 years ago we were all pretty sustainable because we had no choice but to be sustainable and at that time you know we bought local so we knew exactly you know like which chicken your egg was coming from you know it was that level of understanding you know you knew who you bought your clothes from who was making them where the materials were coming from and that was just you know how it was it wasn't you know a luxury item it was just that was the way the world was and then we've kind of gone through this this huge boom of you know global brands all different things this, you know multitude of choice and that we seem to be coming around full circle to being like no actually what what we want is is what we had right at the beginning is that local supplier the person around the corner durable there um that yeah what was you know previously the norm is now being seen as this real kind of you know luxury item with with ownership throughout the channel and it'll, it'll be really interesting to see if if some more of those local supply chains um come through out of the back of this pandemic and i was spoken in, in episode two around people you know shopping local again 
and rediscovering what's in our own communities that maybe that will lead to those kind of smaller supply chains again. So one of the words um, that we've started to hear used um, a lot is greenwashing. So could you give us a bit of a, an idea, first of all, like what is greenwashing um, and how might we recognise uh, when something is being greenwashed? So greenwashing is generally a negative term. It's basically green spin. So it's um, promoting your sustainability credentials um, to a greater extent than what they actually may be. Um, so it usually involves overstating things, um, being vague to the point of, you know, not having that clarity over what you've actually achieved um, and consumers you know they don't react very well to it because they feel that they're being you know um, having the wool pulled over their eyes it is quite deceptive as well um, and it kind of spoils things for everybody so the people that are doing good and they're able to evidence what they're doing their actions could also be clouded by you know what other people in the industry are doing what other businesses are doing because then the consumer thinks well I don't know what to believe anymore and probably everybody's at it anyway so it can be quite um, damaging but I think nowadays consumers are quite um, savvy they're m much more aware and you know they are using their power to hold brands to account whether that's on social media or voting by their wallets and saying you know want a bit more information about this and you know there's always going to be some journalist that's able to poke around in the in the outer depths of your supply chain in a foreign country and find something that's like hang on a minute this is not what you're saying on your bright and shiny website so I think um, but it's a lot more difficult to ensure all of that if you do have this huge global supply chain with hundreds and hundreds of suppliers in all parts of the world it's much more difficult to control that and you know sometimes things will happen may not be anybody's fault and sometimes you may have a rogue supplier um so there's lots of reasons for that and you know we can't have complete visibility of of everything um but generally it's it's good that brands are talking about things but i think it, it's difficult to know how much to say yeah. and how and to the say brands, obviously <laughs> they want they want to say the right thing to get you to, to buy their product at, at the end of the day and it's i think it's really important that we remember that we do have that that power and that responsibility as a consumer to to ask those questions so if they're shouting about their sustainability credentials it's worth just finding out what actually sits underneath those you know an intention to be fully sustainable is, is very different to actually doing something um, are there, I know we spoke um, in one of the earlier episodes about B Corps and, and meeting that kind of very high standard um, in a lot of different ways. Are there any other kind of marks or standards um, that a consumer can look for quite easily if they're, they're dealing with retailers? Um, I would say no, not really. There, there are like uh, well over 100 different eco labels which doesn't so, help does it you kind of want there to be one <laughs> but as we said like there, yeah. there are many different elements so you know we see you know like the leaping bunny symbol on the kind of you know some beauty products we see some kind of you know the fair trade stuff but that's only one element of everything that's that's going on so you've got your organic markers um global organic textile standards um eco text and so on but i think for most people they're relatively meaningless because it's only one part of the, the big issue as we said so it's also about people it's also about environmental things throughout the supply chain um, just because you're using organic fiber it doesn't mean that you're not using toxic chemicals for finishing and dyeing and so on it doesn't mean that you're not manufacturing in a country where they use dirty coal energy 
and it doesn't mean that you're not using plastic packaging to sell things online and then sending them to landfill when they get returned because you're not able to you know resource the um, very much it's that that end-to-end -end thing that we've mentioned um, a few times isn't it that just because a particular part of your chain might be absolutely spot on but if everything that led up to it and everything that happened after it is miles away from where it needs to be then then as a product it's, it's probably not the right choice uh, we are starting to see um, more brands publish um, sustainability reports. Do we think that that's something that will become mandatory, that there'll be certain standards that people need to, to share? Or do you think this will continue to be led by consumers wanting to see those and brands sharing them? Um, I think it will be mandatory. We might look at the, the power of investors as well and the invest institutional investment community and how... You know, a lot of these bigger brands are, um, you know, owned by shareholders. Some of those shareholders are, you know, huge big pension funds and so on, and they really need to manage their their risk. Um, there has been a rise in um, what we call ESG investment funds recently. So these are funds which are very much geared around um, making sure that what they invest in does have that environmental, social, governance aspects in terms of what we might badge under the umbrella of ethical and sustainable um, so and I think it's it's these people that will be wanting to to know the the granularity of the detail and the evidence to make sure that you know what they're investing in is not going to end up being a PR scandal in the national press because they found something dodgy in the supply chain and also consumers you know they they do want um, brands to do better don't they but I don't think they want to read a 50-page sustainability report what we want to see is, is a nice easy little tick that goes cool I can buy from you and everything's going to be okay and it, it probably is with that level of investor that actually the amount of money that they're talking about and the longevity of those investments it becomes worth investing that that extra time and due diligence in the same way as they would all the other parts of the business and um, the ESG investing is, is something that I find fascinating it's something that seems to have again sprung up quite quickly despite having been around for a while and is actually Actually something that elevate we're going to do a, a webinar on not in terms of attempting to offer anyone financial advice but just to answer kind of some of those questions about how it works because that greenwashing that we spoke about in fashion is has definitely been seen um, on the investing side as well so um, it's really interesting to understand you know what level of, of granularity the investors are asking for and, and where their focus is and definitely as we see you know we're in the throes of a climate crisis you know the impact that that is having on supply chains in, in various different countries can can make an investment quite risky which can potentially be mitigated um, earlier on so i think that will be a, a really interesting topic to explore further what I wanted then to kind of uh, finish on, so we've, we've chatted through then kind of some of the things that we can ask about um, as consumers, as investors, as people who are part of the supply chain. Um, but just to come back to this idea of there being a business model for sustainability, it's one of the things that we spoke about right at the beginning that our, our current make everybody buy lots of stuff is not a sustainable business model. And there is this, you know, element of having kind of purpose on the one hand and, and profits on the other and whether actually that's right or is there actually this middle ground that goes well actually if you do the right thing for a purpose you should also be a profitable business so it would be really interesting um, to get your thoughts on on whether that that is possible you know, is that a utopia or is that something that we could realistically start to see um, I would hope that it is something that we can realistically work towards 
um, and looking at how we can <clears throat> build revenue streams that aren't based on you know selling more units or selling our units to more places in the world and just constantly growing the amount of stuff that we're we're pushing out there and the amount of resources that we are using um, and wasting throughout the supply chain but it's really about um i think having a, a clear value proposition for the, for the consumer and um you know trying to educate the consumer a little bit and shift them along from you know buy 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 materialistic um goals so is there something around fashion as more of an experience or can we um you know nudge consumers to kind of buy less buy better or you know is there a value stream around renting things or having some second hands within the store as well as um, the new stuff um so really i think until we've done that is, is there a revenue stream for example around repair but it's really about normalizing all of these things because i think although like you say we used to do all these things often because of a you know frugality reasons and there were no other options but now it's about nudging people to do some of those practices that they used to do making them convenient um and also cost effective isn't it because that's that's the only way that we're gonna kind of slow down consumption and contract the industry slightly but also um you know be able to preserve those jobs i think it's a myth that you know everybody can be upskilled so currently we'd have you know millions of garment workers around the world and so on we're not all going to be able to upskill them to producing fewer better items but i think we all need to make some actions really to work towards that in whatever way we can whether it's um you know being a bit more inventive about the materials that we use or you know the collections that we do whether we can do make make to order for parts of the collection um, whether we can have some more kind of um, not necessarily investment pieces but pieces that last last longer that are not so you know fad fashion um, how can we share clothing um, and how can people repair it if they want to you know so I think repair it's not just for you know your expensive stuff but it could just be for something that you bought where the buttons fell off you know people will return that to the retailer and then it gets goes to landfill doesn't it but you know if you could just take it around the corner and somebody could stick the button back on for you for a quid or something we would totally do that wouldn't we or if we could figure out how to do it ourselves without too much um and what i love about that answer is there's such a mix there of a real commercial awareness that like there is a genuine business opportunity here because there are people that are happy to pay more money for better quality more durable items so if you can get into that market space brilliant there are people who will happily pay to have those repairs done because we would rather do that it's just an accessibility issue as much as anything but then also that real kind of personal angle to it that some of it is about just bringing those skills back that have been lost and you know clothes are so emotive and it's, it's something that we've perhaps not not covered so much on these so far but you know we love certain items of clothing you know we've got memories attached to certain things a certain joy that comes in wearing items that you know isn't that lovely that you can think when it gets to that point I can repair it, I can mend it, I can get that extra couple of uses out of it. Or if it's a one-off item that I wore and I felt amazing in and I loved it, that there's actually a mechanism for me to be able to let somebody else have that, that same joy from the garment. And it's, you know, clothes don't just have to be functional. We're not talking about, you know, everybody going to, you know, completely monochrome, durable capsule wardrobe that you never have to change. You know, you can have those, those fabulous pieces as part of that. It's just how do we get get the most from it 
So are there any kind of key trends in, in sustainability that you think we'll see as we go into kind of 2021? We're obviously going to go through a, a very different Christmas period to fashion retailers would, would normally have gone through. I'm sure that we will all be in uh, fancy Christmas pyjamas rather than in our, uh, our Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve going out um, place. But do you think there's any trends um, developed from this year that you would expect to see more of as we go into 2021? Um, I would like to see us wearing the same Christmas jumper that we've worn before rather than buying a new one. Because <laughs> surely we've all got a few of them knocking around the back of the wardrobe, haven't we? Um, but I think we will see people um, shopping more locally. Often they're not able to shop for clothing locally because although you might have, you know, your small food um, independent retailers, gifty places or farmers, um, street markets and so on, it doesn't often translate into you know, a clothing retailer that that suits um you know your your taste you often have to go to shopping malls and city centers for that um but i think that that could be scope for you know discovering smaller brands online and perhaps um you know just buying better i think we've all been disappointed haven't we with buying something online that was super cheap looked amazing on the influencer but it it just wasn't very nice when we got it home or We've been um, you know, tempted by something that's only a few quid reduced in the sale in a, in a store, bring it home. And then you think, well, actually, I don't really want to be wearing something that is cost less than a cup of coffee because it just doesn't look that great on me. Um, and I think there's lots of interesting brands now that are doing um, really nice um, collections, interesting materials, quite a nice brand proposition and so on. And we're, we're seeing some of the fast fashion retailers are actually copying their designs, aren't they? <laughs> Putting them out for a fraction of the price. But it might be that we, we should perhaps um, adopt more of that kind of how we perceive the French uh, women's wardrobe to be and you know, buy less trend-led items, um, but buy things that suit us, that we actually look really good in, that people are gonna um, you know, almost stop and stare um, because they fit well, that they suit you. Um, and then if you want the odd fun thing, yeah, but the whole wardrobe shouldn't be made up of fun things that you only wear once, should that we, sh we should have our own style. Um, and whether that's working with a stylist or um, even, you know, kind of speaking to friends and family and kind of helping each other to figure out or, you know, if you want to try a new style out, maybe ask to borrow it from a friend or family member rather than you know, buying your own. That idea that suddenly you know sustainability is stylish I think is just such a brilliant place to to end these podcasts on because it has been a, a surprisingly uplifting series of podcasts there are obviously um some dark parts of the the fashion industry and um, but we have got this opportunity now not for the best of reasons but to take a step back and, and reset a little bit so I hope that those things do come through in in 2021 of that increase in local asking more questions you know just loving our clothes a little bit more thinking more about our own style and, and really getting that enjoyment out of them so thank you so much for joining us patsy i've learned loads over these past um, few episodes and i'm sure our listeners will have done as well thank you ever so much to use for, for putting on these series um, i know they're looking at doing them in a few different topics so uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for those and um, thank you ever so much for joining us and please do of course get in touch if you've got any questions Questions, anything you'd like us to discuss further. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to our latest News Talk podcast. Get involved in the conversation through Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at NewsMCR with the hashtag News Talk. More information on each episode can be found on the show notes.
Thank you.